0: Hello everyone and welcome to our series of webinars hosted here in our virtual 67 Pall
1: Lastly today our Barolo boys Fede and Nelson will be back speaking about the wines history of this famous Piedmontese region. Um, For now we'll be joined by Jasper Morris, the ever popular Jasper Morris MW, talking about the 2000 vintage in Burgundy and discussing where it sits in the hall of famous Burgundian vintages. But before that, I would like to shamelessly piggyback off Jasper's fame, purely for commercial gain, and just tell you about our 67 Pall book that we have coming out fairly shortly. So we've done our 67 Pall book, myself and Marcus, the head chef, we've done a book which um, really is about uh, food and wine. It's about tasting wine. It's about the service of wine. It's about matching food and wine. It has a lot of wine pairing recommendations in it. It has a lot of classic grape varieties that we've been taking and we've been recommending uh, our favorite regions, our great terroirs of the world. such as Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon. And then we go into pairing it with 100, 100 great classic wines of the world that we've done 100 different dishes with. So some of them are very, very classic dishes and some of them we've kind of made from scratch. So we've got beautiful photography in there, baked salt cod chorizo with Tio Pepe on Rama. Uh, How can you go wrong with that? So we've got a lot of fantastic photography, hundred different wines with a uh, hundred classic wines with a hundred different dishes. We've got the classic dishes in there, things like the brown egg, the, the, the scotch egg, um, and things like the six, seven burger. Um, so that's gone off to the printers and we hope that that's gonna be ready to um, to be available to buy. We hope that that's gonna be ready in October time. So um, we're very excited about that, so. Um, as usual, please chat away on the side, share with us what you're drinking and where you're drinking it from, and please do hashtag 67 from home and share with us a photograph. As usual, we'll have 15 minutes at the end where you can ask Jasper all your Burgundy related questions. So we hope that you have some 2015 hat hand and a big welcome back to Jasper. Hey, how are you?
0: Thanks. Thanks, Raymond. And uh, that book looks fabulous. Uh, Thank you. Who did the photography, by the way?
1: Uh, a guy called Joaquin Blackstock who does a lot of food photography. So,
0: yeah, right, yeah. yeah, he's great. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Anyway, uh, another great addition. And I'm sure many of you have seen a, um, a book from uh, another of 67 Palm Miles' uh, great contributors, Jane Anson's uh, Inside Bordeaux book, which uh, just yeah. launched now. It's fabulous. Right, back to uh, tonight's theme, which is 2015 vintage in Burgundy. And to what extent can we really consider this to be one of the greats? Uh, I think we probably can, but we will, we'll find out as we go along. So what are the great vintages in Burgundy? Um, and if we start, we'll start in my lifetime, how about that? We won't go back too far. Um, so 1959 was pretty much the yardstick, uh, a great vintage in Burgundy as in Bordeaux, and I would argue certainly better than the 61 and probably 62 or 64 or The other vintages of the 60s for Burgundy. It was a long, hot summer, a biggish crop, everything ripened, no problems. Beautiful wines of both colours, but but the reds are the ones uh, most remembered. Uh, The 70s were trickier, and there was nothing that really stood out, though 76 might have done, but it got too dry. Uh, And actually, some of the reasons why things either did or didn't quite make it uh, will be relevant when we look at uh, 2015. Then we had 78, which Harry Waugh famously called for Bordeaux the miracle vintage um, because it didn't look as though it was going to be a success. It was a late harvest, in well into October, but then the wines turned out really well. And Probably 78 Burgundy uh, would be considered by most, uh, let's say, neutral um, watchers to be um, more successful than 78 Bordeaux. And then through that, after that, 83, maybe it was going to be, but it rot got in the way and it was also too dry. And very few 83s turned out really well. Those that did were exciting. And after that, uh, 85, a vintage which had absolutely no health problems at all, uh, about which people said uh, to make a bad wine in 85, you had to do it deliberately. So a few people must have done it deliberately. But really, really nice wines. I didn't personally feel it had the little patina of greatness about it, but they were just completely lovely wines, and most people did get it right. Rest of the 80s, uh, 88 I quite liked, 89, very popular in the States. 90, perhaps the synthesis of the two, a little bit riper, though, Um, probably the first vintage in recent times in which people uh, felt that the summer might have got too warm. But very few wines have proven to be uh, too hot and they're still drinking extremely well. Uh, I like 91 and 93 and 96, but uh, each of them has its own individual foibles. None of those quite comes into the all-round great category. 1999 probably does. It was an excellent vintage, very good summer, a big crop set. um, Probably a bit more concentration in the Côte de Bones than the Côte de Nuit and possibly slightly less good weather towards the end of the harvest when the Cape and Nueva guys were still picking may have just taken the edge off there. But I think 99 does count as one of the greats. Then we come through to 2005 which many of you will have heard me saying is the my favourite vintage of my working lifetime, uh, a really great year. It was a brilliantly sunny summer all summer but no real heat spikes, which are the danger thing. The only snag, the only thing I could have wished to have not been there was that it was a little bit too dry. So arid uh, parts of Burgundy, those with um, less topsoil and too good drainage may have suffered a bit. But by and large, 2005 has remained the benchmark and I still think these wines have yet to come around apart from the fairly basic Bourgogne or lesser village level. Uh, Not six, seven, eight. 2009, a very ripe, sunny year, perhaps a little bit too warm. Quite a lot of enthusiasm. Also some naysayers. I don't think anyone is quite putting it in the very top category. 2010, which wasn't considered to be uh, great to begin with, in fact, was considered to be a very difficult year and lucky to have survived, has turned into uh, a wonderful vintage, making beautiful wines. I don't think they will last Uh, for the immensely long term so it's a candidate for one of the great vintages maybe it will stop short, maybe it will get there some of you will have been uh, with us very early in this series when we looked at the 09 and the 10 side by side from Rumier Um, we didn't in those days have the ability to send out samples to everybody so uh, you were all drinking your own wines at home but uh, nonetheless uh, on that evening I narrowly gave the 2009 the nod Not 11, not 12, not 13, not 14. Those last three vintages, 12, 13, and 14, were all uh, damaged in the Cote de Beaune by horrible hailstorms. And then we come to 2015, and maybe, maybe, we're back in the category of a great vintage. It's definitely a candidate. Will it actually arrive there? So we're talking reds here. Um, The whites, I think, are pretty good in quite a, uh, a rich and sunny style. But uh, tonight's argument is about the Reds. Having said which, some of you will have one, most of you will have a white wine in your pack. Um, uh, There was, unfortunately, a little bit of a a cock-up back at base camp, uh, and uh, (coughs) Laurent Fournier makes a Marconnet Lingerie in both colours, and the white got sent out to most people. So Grant has had his pocket money stopped for a week, um, and uh, I hope, nonetheless, it will give us the opportunity, opportunity those who've signed up uh, for this evening and have got a pack with a white, it gives you your aperitif to enjoy while I'm withering away. So let's just take a look at 2015 from the growing season point of view. It starts the winter before, in which uh, what you need is ideally some cold in order to um, kill off any bugs that might be sitting around in the um, just loitering in the vineyard but you also need some wet to replenish the water table. And it was a wet winter. It wasn't especially cold one. We don't seem to have those anymore, but it was a wet one. And so as a result, uh, there was a decent level of water in the water table, which is going to be important later on. That's consistent with 2018 when, uh, again, a hot, dry summer, uh, but it so much rain in the winter before. There's been so much rain in the winter before this growing season. Um, so that's going to be useful for 2020. The exception of recent years was 2019, when it was a reasonably dry winter, after a dry summer, before another dry summer, and that maybe accounts for uh, the shortage of crop in the 2019 vintage. Jumping ahead. So on into the spring, um, warmed up early, as is often the case these days, as a result of which uh, the season got ahead of time, but there was no frost. There was no other particular problems um, there was only one hailstorm uh, at this time, which was May the 20th uh, in Pyrrheni so affecting the Reds. And given the horrors of the repeated hail of 12, 13, and 14, it was just such a relief in 15 not to have that at all. The weather in the first part of the summer was pretty good. It was cool nights and hot days, which does give you a risk of oidium. Those are conditions in which oidium flourishes. And people did have to treat against it. It never got out of hand, but it was there in the back of people's minds. Then starts the real summer. And in July, it got very hot and distinctly dry. And we got one of those situations in which the vines do start to shut down somewhat. And uh, it may retard what's going to happen later on. So a little bit of a a warning signal there. It all depends what happens later. And in August, fortunately, uh, though the weather continued mostly hot, there were fairly regular showers, enough to get the vines back on track to keep things going. In fact, all the way June through August, uh, there was a total of 118 millimeters of rainfall instead of a normal 200, so fractionally over half. That's not great, but it probably was enough to avoid uh, any real downside. There was a little bit of mildew got in the way in August, and anybody who was careless might have had a difficulty with that, but uh, it won't have affected uh, the good guys. And now we come to the end of the month of August, and the whites were mostly picked in the last week of August. Cote de Bone reds and Shabley whites were picked in the first week in September. Then the Cote de Nuit wouldn't have started till the second week, and some people were later than that. Some people didn't start till the third week, the Cote de Nuit. And there was a major rainstorm over the weekend of 12th, 13th of September. Uh, really pretty strong rains, and it continued to be fairly iffy during the following week. Now, that wouldn't have been much fun for people picking, but actually, because the grapes were all completely healthy at the start, uh, they didn't suffer any specific damage. And a few people, always late pickers, are pleased to have picked late because they said, oh, well, we needed that extra bit of rainfall to uh, uh, the grapes for thirsty, and uh, uh, it sort of kicked off. It finished off the ripening, let's say. So everybody is always pleased with the decision they've made. Uh, Personally, I would rather have picked a little bit before all that rainfall. Good. So now we can start taking a little look at the six vines we have tonight. Uh, I do apologise for those people who have got the white, which is what I've got, holding it up for you. Uh, Laurent Fournier is an interesting guy. Um, he is the man in charge of whether Marconet gets uh, Premier Cru vineyards or not. Uh, this has been going on for nearly 10 years, and it's boring for them that it takes so long. But also, every five years or so, there's a change of guard in the commission, the INAO, for the people who sort this out. And they then have to start reintroducing the topic to the next people. So they're getting pretty frustrated about it. The most recent development uh, is that the INAO always want to take a look at everything which is currently village within an appellation, so village Marcenay here, and decide if those boundaries have been drawn correctly. In fact, they've just added an extra 60 plus uh, hectares of new vineyard into what's Marcenet. They've gone, uh, could we see the map, please, Ronan? You have a map um, of Marcenet to share with us. Here it is. I hope everybody can see that. And uh, I'm actually going to take control of that um, from Ronan so that I can then uh, play with it. So if you look over on the right-hand side in Chenove, there's only one vineyard in there, which is the Clé du Roi. But if you were to continue further, you'd have things like uh, Bourgogne-le-Chapitre and bourgogne le Montrecu, show your buttocks, Uh, vineyards, which are Bourgogne vineyards but allowed to use their own name. They've both been promoted to Marcenay. Some of these vineyards, which are down here uh, on um, uh, this sort of I don't know, light brown color, which previously have only been Marcenet rose, are now allowed to be uh, full Marcenet. But for the time being, what we want to do is uh, we're going to have a little look at, um, uh, um, to annotate it, we're going to look where the Langeois is. And I found, I'm I'm just learning, every, every time we do this, I learn some new tree. And uh, I've got a little heart signal, which I can put in there. See, there are three parts, in fact, to the Langeois. We have the bas, the Langeois, in two bits, below the row, small road above. And then we have the dessus, the upper bit of Langeois. The long rows, it means, because, um, uh, well, the rows are long. <laughs> no more to say about it than that. This will definitely be one of the um, new Premier crews if and when they actually happen. So um, to the right of that, Clé du will be a premier crew. L'Angeoir will be a premier crew. And it will add on, Mont will be part of it. And then quite a lot of that same band uh, running through the middle uh, will be premier crew, a little bit less once you get to the southern end in Coucher. Uh That's all work in store. Right, so um, imagine this is a red wine. Well, you can't Got the white. Um, we can probably lose the map now, our own, and Thank you very much. Um, and I've got this reasonably full-coloured, quite oaky white wine. Um, He uses a fair amount of new oak, but that's partly because he's re-equipped the cellar almost entirely with um, uh, 600-litre barrels instead of the old 228s, and as time goes by, they will get a bit older and the new oak effect will be a little bit less. I do find white Marcenet is a bit neutral. I don't think there's a lot of of terroir quality comes through, there is one thing that a few people have, Sylvain Patay has, he's good friends with Laurent Fournier, and I think Laurent's going to plant some. There's a type of Chardonnay, I'll say clone, um, which is called the Chardonnay rose, and in a warm summer it has a pinkish skin, and the wine seems to have quite a lot more character. Unfortunately, in the recent hot years, the pink skin does become quite pronounced, and, uh, and it does show in the colour of the wine. So whether it's definitely the way forward or not, I don't know. Should you have the red version of this, and I believe a few of you do, Um, though not the majority, then it's a wine which was made with 50% stems. Um, Laurent is uh, also, he does a few things biodynamically, but he is certified organic up to 2015. He was one of the honest guys. In 2016, the problems were so difficult that he stopped. He used some sprays, held his hand up, said what he'd done, lost the certification, 16 started again from 17 so 17 18 19 he was back in conversion and from 2019 he's certified organic again so i do admire people who tried to be organic found they couldn't and then um were honest enough to admit it and then got having fallen off that horse uh, got back on it again i i we will say that I'm more of a fan of the reds from here, though, than the whites, so I hope a few of you have got the, got the red to enjoy. Either way round, it's a powerful young wine. It'll be a dark-coloured wine, that uh, red uh, um, uh, Marcenet Langeois, but um, I hope that it will be offering uh, plenty of concentration of, of fruit to, uh, for you to enjoy. So, um, other people who make uh, L'Anchois, incidentally, Bruno Kleiner has it, Morte has it, uh, all the Bouviers have it, Audouin, Domain Barre, uh, Charlepin Tissier, son of Philippe Charlepin. So most of the leading protagonists from us, will have Langeois. As I mentioned, it's a big vignette. Right, are you ready for round two? Let me just get my, my big glass, hold it up. Very, very sad this morning. For the first time, I broke one of these Salto Burgundy glasses. Uh, it was just the carelessness, the drying up as ever, thinking about doing drying with one hand and thinking about something with another part of my brain and doing it gently, but even so, and it went, never mind. So, what I meant to do with this pair, had uh, we had the red uh, Marseille, was to show a wine from each end of the Cote d'Or. Marcenay that's just coming out of the city of Dijon and is on a gentle slope. And Marange, which finishes off the very southern end of the Cote de Beaune. In fact, you've gone over the boundary into the Sainte-Loire department. It's still called the, uh, the Cote d'Or for wine purposes. Where you've got a pretty steep slope, in fact, uh, where the Premier Crus are, and then coming down to a small river at the bottom. So if maybe we can show that map, please, Ronan good at this I'd, I'd ask for a bonus uh so here's um no that's the wrong map you're not getting good at this you're showing the map of the hill of Corton. take that back
1: what was the map that you wanted
0: the one marron
1: oh, okay apologies i was distracted by the chat box
0: <laughs> easily done okay yeah grant is uh, grant is uh, keeping us informed exactly how it's going Right, so coming up any second now will be the map of Merange, And while that's happening, I'll tell you about. Oh, here we go. So it's made up of three villages, which used to be on their own Chaly les Maranges, Sampigny les Maranges. And when you pronounce it with my English accent, the disease les Maranges doesn't sound so good. Uh, so you've come out of Santenay, The hills started to go round the corner a little bit. Um, and uh, you come into the um, premier cruise, um, which you know, I've got control now, here we go, which of these chaps pressed in uh, in, this, in sort of the salmon pink color. So the river's down here at the bottom. Uh, by now, this slope is almost entirely south-facing. Um, and we are looking at a village vineyard, which is called Sûr la chaine above the oak. And uh, I shall play with my, Notation again, and uh, we'll give it a start this time, just to be different. Sioux Le it doesn't come out in such a bright colour, so let's try with a heart, that's a bright colour, yeah, we'll stick with the hearts. Um, there is Sioux uh, Le it's still on a reasonable slope here, it flattens out at the bottom, the bottom part is in really obviously alluvial soils, and even though the rows that the chevroes have go all the way down, they pick separately the bottom bit and they put it into their Bourgogne Rouge. The rest they keep for the Sio Le Chen Cuvée, which is always a favourite for me every year. Um, It's horse-ploughed because the vine's are pretty old here. Uh, And anyway, they're wild and woody people who like to plough by horse, if they possibly can. They're biodynamic and uh, certified organic. And um, a proportion, not the whole lot, a proportion of the vineyard here is 80-year-old vines. So it really is a, a um, a good slot to... Uh, to be in. I remember we had a a decanter tasting of Marange wines and a few other things um, and this was my absolute standout wine from the probably 60 or 70 that we we tasted in total. So um, I assume if you leave that map up, do people just see the map or do you see me as well? Probably you just want to see the map but we're probably done with the map otherwise. Let's get to tasting the wine. Mmm. So when I first tasted this, I did fall totally in love with it because it was just explosive red fruit. And I showed it at a general Cote de Bain masterclass, um, I think at the beginning of this year, um, uh, at 67 mile or it might have been last year. And it still had the concentration of fruit, but it had tightened up a bit. Now what I'm smelling is getting back to the explosion. Maybe it's enjoyed its, its outing in the small bottles. And I'm just going to give a little plug for the people who got me my samples. You may remember from other occasions uh, that uh, the samples didn't arrive at all. When we used a certain company, beginning with F, uh, the samples went out on a Friday, and they didn't arrive until the Monday, 10 days later, and the masterclass was on Saturday evening. So it wasn't entirely, therefore, they, um, um, what's the word, they um, sent it out to a local Um, carrier here at this end, called TNT, who screwed up entirely. We've moved to UPS, and I don't mind giving them a plug, because this went out on a Monday um, middle of the day, and it arrived on Tuesday middle of the day. So uh, they are my new heroes. Right, so uh, deepish colour, that's fine, that's 2015 speaking, the wines are all nice and rich in uh, in colour. The question is going to be, in assessing how good this vintage is, is whether the wines become too rich and top-heavy, or whether they're they're just a glorious, hedonistic expression of wonderful red fruit. Mm. Yum. So I think uh, in this year, in 2015, there will be some stems in it. More recently, 2018, I think it's almost all stems. Uh, But here it was um, uh, a mixture of the two and prior to this warmer period they used not to um, to, um, uh, include stems very much at all. Um, Yum. I'm not sure the exact proportion of stems but there is a fair amount, somewhere between 50 and 100% stems in this. I find this a perfectly balanced wine, I love the freshness of the acidity. 2015 was in theory, a low, um, sorry, not low alcohol, low acid vintage. But in practice, it was the first of several recent years when we said, but they taste fresh nonetheless. And having a few stems in them will have helped to um, coordinate that freshness. For a village that many of you will not be particularly familiar with, one that's definitely regarded in the second division, I think this has a beautiful persistence of flavour, and I really like it. So um, my friend Mark has said it's on his list of the visit to not go and uh, drink them out of all the Sioux They have a range of premier Cru Marconnets and saint as well, um, including an excellent um, Marconnets, Marange and saint including the excellent Marange uh, premier Cru, the Moan, but I still somehow hold a candle for this Sioux de Chien. But you'll get a chance at the end to Food for your two favorite wines. They can be your two out of the six. They can be your two absolute favorites. Or they can be one absolute favorite and one that you felt was really good at its level. So uh, there you go. Great. Um, everybody happy? I hope so. Any, any queries? I'm trying to keep a mini eye on the chat. Uh, so if there is anything that you just want clarified as we go through, I'll try and pick up on that. Otherwise, questions to the Q&A at the end but I probably won't see the q questions until we get that far. Good, good, good. Now, my thinking was uh, we learn more if we have wines in pairs, and that was supposed to be a pair, but the other two are more definite pairs because then we can bounce the wines off each other. Whereas if we just had six wines from six, six different parts, sure, we'd learn a little bit more about uh, the different parts of Burgundy, except you're all experts and you know already. Um, but if we have pairs, then we can play one producer a little bit against the other, just to show up counterpoints, not to try and say that one is is in any way better than the other. Good. So, where should we go next? Uh, I think we've gone to Nuit-Saint-Georges. Um, rather than going geographically from Arrange to Corton to Nuit-Saint-Georges, I thought because we've got uh, two Grand Crus, and in Corton, as opposed to a village we Saint-Georges and a premier crew, we would do Nuit next. And we've got an excellent guy called David Dubon, the bandit from up in the hills. He lives um, in a tiny little village called Chavannes. He's probably the only winemaker up there. Though the hills around are now populated with significant amounts of Oak Cote de, bon, sorry, Oak Cote de Nuit. Yes, yeah, good question. I think he's just Oak Cote de Nuit there. Uh, vineyards. Um, uh, which you can see from his house that overlooks the surrounding area. And I often drive through Chavan when I'm going to many of the villages of the Côte Nuit. Rather than dropping down and using the main road, I, I sort of go, go the back way. So uh, David Dubon's dad um, sent his wines to the local co-op. David started taking over in, I think, 1995. Uh, and that must have been a little bit earlier in that. Um, because it was around that period that uh, a businessman bought up a, um, I think it was 1991 that David started to go from his dad, and then later on in the, uh, um, uh, after that, Francois Foyer um, managed to buy the domain Truchot-Martin, Maurice Saint Denis, and he said, okay, I want you to run this um, vineyard for me and make the wine, and, but only as long as you're well clear of the co-op and you're doing everything yourself." Um, so I slightly garbled that story because it began with a couple of other vineyards much earlier, and it was only in 2005 that the Truchot-Martin vineyards came on stream. So David had to sort of expand his winery, uh, because then also from the main Remy in Maurice and Denis, more vineyards came a couple of years after that, Uh, so it's now a pretty big operation, and David makes all the wine, and then at the end of the day, including getting them into bottle, at the end of the day, divides them down to 50% 50% go back to François Foyer and come out under his label, and 50% stay under the David de Bourne label, plus, of course, all David's uh, own wines. So in Nuit Saint-Georges, he makes a blended Nuit Saint-Georges, and it comes from three plots. May I have the map, please, Renan? We can leave the map up this time, because we'll have it later on from the Prulier. So, uh, the three vineyards, the um, principal vineyard, I'm just going to have to organise to steal the screen from you, which I'll do now. Uh, and then, having done that, I will take and get me stars going. So, La Charmotte or Les Charmotte, you can call it either, is here. Uh, not the star, sorry, my apologies, the heart. Uh, so, it is just out of Nuit Saint George on the northern side. Uh, the ground is flattening out a bit below the premier cruise, like uh, Claude de Torre and uh, Le Below that, Au Saint-Julien, a bit weird, Nuit Saint-Georges, it has, as well as Les Saint-Georges, it has Au Saint-Julien and Au Saint-Jacques as well, lots of, uh, lots of the saints. And all the vineyards north of Nuit Saint-Georges tend to start AUX, Au Saint-Julien, and all the ones south tend to be Les, as in Les Saint-Georges. The, the other one is just south of uh, louis Saint-Georges, almost hidden behind it, is Les Plateaux there. So you won't really get to see that vineyard, it's hidden behind uh, where um, Jean-Claude Boisset have just built their super-new winery with a vineyard on top of the winery. Um, anyway, so David Dubois, if you went up you can see the village of Moyet up here and if you went back up that road from Moyet you get to Arsenal uh, and, uh, that's, and then from Arsenal you get to Chavannes where his house is. Um, so it's a blend of the three, uh, it's got about 60% uh, whole bunch vinification Thirty a third, let's say, uh, New Oak. So, you know, those are quite punchy numbers. But um, David Dubon is uh, a postmodernist in the sense that he doesn't try and make dark, rich, coloured wines. He's trying to make wines with elegance and style and class um, to the extent that I thought his 2016s were brilliant. and His 2017s, when tasted very young, still in barrel, uh, I found them a tiny bit on the light side, my bet is they put on some flesh since then and got even better. Um, but he's not somebody who I would ever accuse of overdoing things. Uh, elegance is his, is his watchword. Um, if any of you are like me, cricket lovers, uh, he bears a striking physical resemblance to the Surrey in England with the keeper batsman Alex Stewart. Apologies to those of you further appeal, or indeed I know some of you in Pakistan and India who would prefer your own cricketers rather than an Englishman. Right, Uh, what I haven't done yet is uh, poured any into a glass, so I had better do that now for a taste. So as I say, he's somebody who doesn't overdo things, so I think he's got the measure of current hot uh, vintages. Mm. So, um, Martina, uh, who is our our host for 67 Pound Mile and will have prepared the poll, um, could you also prepare a second poll for the end for 2015 saying, do you think it is a great vintage, a nearly great vintage, or the third option would be uh, misses out? So great, nearly great, or misses out. And uh, I'm going to ask you at the end, when you've tasted all these red wines, to see um, where you would like to place it. I shan't have a vote in that. The hosts and the panelists don't have a vote in any of these polls. Mm. This is quite fresh, pure, chiseled, austere. These are the words I'm using. a little bit of spiciness, a little bit of the um, raspberry and alpine strawberries, which are part of the characters of the of the stems, those of you who were in our stem session the other day. Um, it's, it's a wine with a great sort of clarity of vision. Doesn't at the moment immediately have the same impact and sort of happy, cheerful, in-your-face bounce that the um, uh, lovely Marange had? Um, um, but nonetheless, I think that uh, it will it will get there. It will fill out. But it's a wine of significant uh, elegance of fruit. What we're tasting here and now, and the perfume, in fact, the bouquet is uh, clearing up and improving as we as we go on. Mm. Yum yum yum. I should have brought out all my surviving glasses uh, instead of having to move things on one after the other. I'll just give myself a slightly smaller pause. So um, what I can't do, while I'm controlling the screen, I don't think I can see the chat alongside. Uh, oh, yes, I can. Um, so just in case anybody's got, uh, got a comment, that I can see those chats. Um, right. Minimize it. Nuit Saint-Georges is really three appellations. Uh, so you can see this on the map. My mouse is over Premo, Southern end, much, much uh, lighter soils here. Wines which really suffer if ever anybody tries to over-extract them. Uh, and whether or not Primo should have its own appellation, that's something that could be discussed. But they have nothing in common with the ones in the middle, which have got the rich, deep soils and make the dark, black, rather more tannic New Saint-Georges, but they're good to be tannic, they're fine, they have such a depth, a profundity of fruit that they can cope with it. And then the third part, are up north of Louis Saint-Georges, and the further north you go, the more you get to similarities with Bonaraminé. You get some of the incredibly heady aromatics of bon Romane, but with a classic underlay of reasonably powerful Louis Saint-Georges. But they're not as tannic as these chaps here. Now, when my my, um, my colleagues, um, um, whether oh dear, Jim, you tipped your two bottles onto the iPad, oh dear tragedy, um, whether or um, you know, with with a few of my colleagues, um, some wine raisers and some wine importers, we have this thing called Bergfest, which we do in the spring for whites and the autumn for uh, for the reds, three years after the vintage. When we did the 2015s. Um, we were looking out for wines being a little bit top-heavy, and we noticed that south of Louis saint georges the wines were really well-balanced, and north of Louis saint georges up towards saint romany they showed a little bit at that early stage, a tiny bit of excess heat from the vintage. <coughs> and curiously, these ones here in the middle part, uh, which do often have black fruit, weren't over and were slightly more red fruit than black fruit which we hadn't expected in a, uh, a, a hot, long, hot, dry summer. So we're going to go now. Uh, I think, can I cancel? Uh, bum, 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 clear. I can cancel the hearts that we have. And I can bring us to Le Proulies, which is here, and give it, give it a whole fresh heart. How about that? Boy, no, I'm wrong. I've done something a bit funny there. I'm put it in the wrong place put it there, now I'm going to have to clear it, and start again, there we go, um, I don't know why I've got that, that blue thing there, but I'm not sure I can get rid of that, won't worry about it, les pruliers, that should mean a plum tree, so they must have been uh, a pruning tree it sounds like, um, a prulier is a, is a plum in French, uh, sorry, um, a is a plum tree in French. And they must have grown there uh, prior to vineyards being put in place. And this belongs to Domaine Grévo. And uh, this is a, a, one of the vineyards in which I think that I techniques have rather um, evolved with time. Never a bad thing. Hold on one second while I, while I pour it to myself. And I'm just. Um, if everybody's seen where it is, if we could just remove the screen, because it gives me more options to see the chat, etc. Thank you, Ronan. Um, this also is, is mostly very old vines. I don't have an exact date on them. And it's a significantly richer wine than the village one from W. Dubois. A mixture of where it comes from, a mixture of the style of the producer. Now, this was a vineyard that Etienne used to pick um, relatively early in the piece. He's a sort of a medium uh, picker in terms of timing, medium to late. He's not one of the aggressively late pickers, but he is a little bit, a little bit sort of um, towards the second part of the pack, let's say. And in 2003, that very hot, sunny year, when He thought Prulier he probably left it too late. He really liked his Prulier in 2003. So ever since then, he's pushed this towards the back of uh, the vineyards in picking date. And he thinks that it doesn't get too clumsy, but it does enhance the the flavors from this particular vineyard. He also said that prior to doing that, it sometimes finished a little bit hard and uh, ungenerous, and it doesn't anymore. This is certainly quite a sumptuous nose. Clearly, we're in a ripe vintage. I would say we're on the cusp of red and black fruit here. Graffi wants to know how the Grievo house style has evolved. Well, it evolved a lot since the early days of uh, the 19, early 1980s when they used the consultant Guy Acker to make the wines. It didn't take long for Etienne to work out that he didn't want wines which were a sort of recipe made as that. But it took him a while to work out where he wanted to go Um, so he's made various small steps um towards greater finesse i remember thinking his 94s were particularly good for that poor vintage he did well in 97 uh one he did well. he often often you could see the changes that he'd been making evolving in the rather more difficult years Um, so now of course he's got the next generation in hand his parents are both still with us. His father is from uh, 1928, and his mother from 1925. A couple of years ago, she had both hips replaced and was dancing around the room again afterwards. So, so she's doing well. Um, uh, Etienne is, I think, uh, 1958 uh, vintage. And now it's um, Mathilde, his daughter, from 1989, and his son, Hubert, who I think is a couple of years younger, uh, who are getting more and more involved. Um, but uh, Etienne still, I think through this vintage, he'll still be very much there, and then perhaps more of a more of a taking a <clears throat> a back seat after that. So this wine is completely destemmed, unlike the majority of the ones that we've had so far. I think all so far have had a a good proportion of stems in them. The white the vines run more or less organically but certainly not certified and certainly not guaranteed to be organic but they have been ploughed for a, a while now a uh, certain amount by horse the domain has done a really nice film of everything that happened to make the 2017 um a vintage so if you go on their website you can probably get it or you can email them and ask for it uh, and uh if you don't speak french you will notice how, what a brilliant quality of subtitles it has uh, i can't think who they asked to translate it um, anyway, so back to uh, this particular wine. I think that's in a pretty happy place. Definitely rich, could be too rich for some, but I'm happy with, with that balance of richness. I uh, like what it's doing. It's got a good structure to it, the right amount of acidity and tannins. You don't really feel the tendons all that much. Jim um, has just asked if we have a bit more guidance on the Mise-Saint-Georges uh, vineyards. No Grand Cruze gets a bit overlooked. There is talk of having grown crews. could we have the map back again actually Renan for a minute Ronan's still with us send me the Saint George map back. Just waiting on that uh, and I will I will just point out where I feel the best vineyards are. Hello Renan. Yep, it's just coming up now. I believe. Apologies, for messing you around. And here we have Louis Saint George again. And I'm going to take back control again. And um, while I'm doing that, Andrew has asked about you here in Louis Saint George talked about it in relation to its neighbors, but rich, deep, and plummy. Plummy is so often, and and we happen to be in Les Prouvier, the the plum one. So, um, we talked about they're mostly lighter wines down down here at the the southern end, and less typically in Ries Saint George. So, if we concentrate on the heartland, um, I will see what I can do. Uh, Oh, look, I can draw things. Isn't this exciting? First bit of heartland is here. Les Cailles, Les Vaucrans, Les Saint-Georges. So normally, Nuit took it was called Nuit sous bone, which they didn't like, underneath bone. So then as soon as they could, they added Saint-Georges, because you normally take your best vineyard. So they added Saint-Georges, Nuit Saint-Georges. And if you were to make a Grand Cru for uh, Les Saint-Georges, which they're talking about, you could make an argument that you would extend it into Les Cailles and Les Vaucrans. They're not going to do that, and it may not work for Les Saint-Georges. uh, simply because Kai is pretty good and pretty similar. Vaucran is a bit higher up, a bit less topsoil. I adore the wines. I like them every bit as much as Les Saint-Georges, but the style is definitely different. Um, but the depth and the weight and the tannins of the dark colour, Les Saint-Georges, is going to be the most classic rule for that. Then the other, one of the problems though in making that a Grand Cru, is that you have to be able to prove that your vineyard sells for more than any other vineyards in the area. And the problem is, all the vineyards up here, I'm just going to circle some of them, but you can go wider than that. Um, not only uh, are they exceptional wines, uh, which merit a high price, but they all tend to be owned by people who live in vaux Romane, and they tend to price them the same as their vaux Romane Premier cruise. Now, I complained about that back in my commercial days, and they said, well, we think the wines are just as good. And I said, well, why do you always serve them before the Von or Premier Cruise? If you want to prove that they're as good, then serve them later. So some of them, people who have plenty, and I think Griveau is a case in point, they serve some lesser Von romanais and some lesser Premier Cruise from um, uh, Louis Saint-Georges, and then they serve um, the best Premier Cruise from Louis Saint-Georges and the best premier cruise from Von Remini. But they, they mix them around, they don't just do all the Nuits, get them out of the way, and then concentrate on their top wines from Vone Remene. But I do think that Boudot, Croix, Richemont, Merger are pretty special. Damod is becoming a tiny bit lighter because you're going up the hill, but it's very good. Chenieux are good. Uh, maybe these are still very good, but not quite in the same uh, quality. I, I, I'm going to pinpoint these two where I've made the slightly messy drawings as being my favorite Louis Saint-Georges. These ones down here in the rich, deep, dark, plummy style. These ones up here as if they were heady, uh, characters um, very very fine bouquets but underpinned with a little bit more depth of fruit than some of the reminies okay thank you Renan. Um you can take back take back control make V saint georges great again lovely hmm good good um so park that and now we come to one of Burgundy's most um controversial, shall we say, areas because when the rulings came and the beginning of Apparacion Control time, virtually the whole of the hill of Corton was made to be Grand Cru. This was partly because everybody said we can prove that in the time previous to this, we have been selling our wine as Corton. Now, the hill of Corton is right next to Bone. All the negotiations in Bone had holdings. They were all promoting them. They're all selling everything as Corton. Um, And so, if some of Corton was worth Grand Cru, altogether too much got included. So, if we can have the Corton map, uh, uh, we can actually take a look at what happened. Here we are with the Corton map. And uh, you will see the hill of Corton up there on top. Uh, with the, um, here we are, uh, with the little dotty things, which are trees, it's very thick trees, for the rabbits that come and eat the vines, and wild boar and deer, which come and eat the vines as well. Um, But all around it, you've got this purple colour, which is Grand Cru Corton Charlemagne, if it's white, and a great deal of it is, or most of it can be Grand Cru, all of it can be Grand Cru Cru Corton Red, and then in the slightly redder color below, you've got Grand Cru Corson Red, much of which can also have white vines, doesn't have that many, which would mostly be Corson Charlemagne or Corson Blanc, if in white. So the key part to it is Cle Du uh, which is here. So let's give that, let's be generous, give that two stars. Uh, but also Le Corton, maybe Renard, uh, maybe, Bavaria, certainly Bresson. It's this area here, um, maybe even as far as the Rognier Corton, which I think genuinely merits um, uh, Grand Cru for red. And if we were, we're not doing it today, but if we were doing uh, the whites, then Le Charlemagne would get two stars, the Corton Charlemagne, en Charlemagne would get one star. And then coming around here, you would probably also get one star for your Courton Charlemagne. But you can spread it more widely than that. Um, It's just a shame that they made quite such a big amount into Grand Cru, because what it means is that people now have this idea that Courton doesn't merit being Grand Cru. But the best of them are lovely. And they did go on extending it into the 1970s, maybe even the 1990s. They kept adding bits up here. Um, just going further round into the valley for En Charlemagne. And they also added bits here in the La de l'Advoiseronie, here and here, which they, they just went too far, basically. So you can have lovely wines down here. But largely, it's not oh, they would have been so much better as the top premier cruise when people have said, wow, that could have been a Grand Cru. Anyway, so after Claude probably my favorite is Les Bressons. Um, it's not called Bresson for the same reason that bone Bressonde is. Um, there was a, a canon Jean de Bresson for bone, and here in Corton there are three sisters who came from the part of lower Burgundy called the Bress. And if you come from the Bress, you are a Bresson, that is the adjective person. So hence it got its name. But Bresson, hear, hear the words, and hear it caress, double S, uh, the palate. And Bresson, for me, does have a lot of those qualities. And we're going to go to uh, two different um, uh, producers. Uh, Let me just clear all those things, Uh, which are Tolerbo and Bravo. And uh, I did my homework. And I actually checked out um, where their vineyards are. Um, And I'll stick stick with the hearts. It's easier. I mean, Revo has their holding just here, and a little bit of Tolo Bo is next to it, but the bit main Tolo Bo holding, and they have more than Revo do, is here. Boing. So um, these will be the next two wines, and I think on the tasting sheet, Revo come up first. i I'm ashamed to say it's a domain, that, or two domains, that I haven't visited, though I plan to. So it's, yep, Scott, I agree with you. Let's do a whole hour on the Hill of Corton. Before we finish, don't go away too early, because before we finish, uh, I'll give you an indication of some of the things we've got lined up uh, uh, ahead of time. Good. So two domain rabbis. The rabbis are both in the village of ladoire Um And it used to be called, um, uh, the main uh, Gaston and Pierre Revo, and they'd alternate between Gastons and Piers. It's still this one is still called Gaston and Pierre Revo, but there's no longer a Pierre. It's now Vincent Raveau doing it, and Pierre Revo has gone off to do uh, his own thing, and uh, uh, he's taken some of the family um, finds away. And uh, I shall need to be uh, to go to both of them to uh, to form a view. Um, but this one is imported uh, into the UK by somebody who I very much respect and uh, as a result of that uh, I'm confident we shall have a good wine. It follows on from Grievo in that this is uh, destemmed, um, and it's just going to taste it and see if it smells that way it does. There's not too much new oak here they, don't, they never use too much 20% new oak Solid, dark, rich colour. That's the problem with sharing the screen. Is if I try and click on the chat, the chat button, all that happens is a little um, red heart appears on the chat button instead of getting any of the answers. Um, mm. It's sweetly ripe that doesn't mean to say it finishes with any residual sugar but to me you get what's red fruit but it's a dark red fruit no single um character maybe some very dark cherries in there but before you go to black cherry it doesn't have the, the sort of relief that's more of a french word a relief. it doesn't have the um the inbuilt structure when you have some stems it's more of a uh, a broad sweet pattern across the palate um, with very good length. Uh, tannin's not showing, acidity is not particularly high, but nor is it obviously lacking in acidity. It's a wine which I'm finding very accessible now, uh, and I see no reason why this wouldn't last. But except that I like to drink wines old, if you have this in your cellar, it wouldn't be a complete tragedy to start uh, drinking it. we we'll, have um, move that to one side. Since we've got two from exactly the same Mignot, we might as well place them in uh, relatively cr- close uh, proximity. I will just mention that the Tolo Bow, you see my double hearts there, if you are to the left of the bottom heart and to the right of the top heart, uh, you have two little plots belonging to the Ospice de Bern, who, as you know, I'm connected with because I helped to promote their sale. And if you went above above the, the the sort of the right ear of the top heart, and just above that you have the biggish parcel of Coton Bresande, which is now run by uh, Domain Romani conti, so maybe the the DRC involvement uh, will help and now from two thousand and nineteen now we'll have Court Charlemagne as well uh, will help put the sort of courtzon back on the map there 's some really good value to be had, and while we 've got the map in front of us, I will just digress a bit. Um, I'm not going to attempt to be politically correct. I'm going to say what I love of the village Premier Cru rine, uh, vines and wines around the hillside. Uh, in white, uh, Penon uh, this bit of the hillside here, and perhaps some going back up the valley, I think make the most, most beautiful clear-cut chiseled white wines. There are some really good whites at the top of the hill in Ladoire as well, around Lake Réchon uh you don't get much white in in uh, allots Corton. uh for the reds um i hope nobody is listening in from allots Corton. i'm just really not a great fan uh i find the heavy clays down here and the abundance of water uh, there are lots of springs in this area you can tell they've got this is called uh les citernes les uh, these not vineyards that you particularly want to uh, uh, follow the names of um I don't really like those red wines. I adore the red wines from this part of the east facing part of Penel Vergelès, the Ile de Vergelès vineyard in particular. Uh, and I really like some of the reds from um, vineyards like Les Joyeuses, which I will maybe find. It's just here. Uh, but there's some really nice mid slope red wine vineyards in Ladois. They seem to have a purity of fruit over and above most of our Corton. A little bit of opinionated, and sorry to fans of uh, Alsatian. Corton. Uh, right, we can, we can probably lose that map now. And uh, I've noted from the chat screen that uh, maybe we should do a whole hill of, hill of corton session, mixing the reds and the whites, perhaps. I think that would be great fun to do. Um, right, so on to tolle I want to tell you about the most lovely pre-lockdown lunch I had uh, in a, a restaurant called the Hermitage de Corton. Um, which I hadn't been to in 35 years, probably. Um, but it's very close to. It's probably in charente burn land, and it's uh, therefore close to the um, where Domaine tolobo is. But a, a good friend of mine, former colleague, um, had managed to find some old bottles of tolobo Corton in a cellar in Dijon. And uh, the guy who was buying the rest of the cellar said, no one's going to want this ridiculous old stuff. Apart from my crazy English friend, Roy, you might want them. So he called him Roy up and said, do you want to look at these? And Roy said, absolutely, I do. Went round, met the owners, uh, looked at the bottles, um, pretty shabby labels. Most of them labels have fallen off. You could just about make out either the vineyard on some, vintages on other. On others, um, fill level was not great because these were old wines. They were from 1934 to 1949, that period. But uh, the cuts were weren't disastrous and Roy believes in old wines. So yeah, he, he paid much more money than um, the owners of the bottles would have expected for it and took them home, let them settle for a bit and then invited the whole Tolobeau family to lunch and very kindly they invited me as well. And what was amazing is we had the three of the the current generation, um, which is Jean-Paul, who's in the vines and also makes the wine, Olivier, who is totally in the vines and does all the tractor work and the rest of it, and Natalie, who is sort of the face of the domain that most people uh, meet, plus their three fathers, all of whom must be in their 80s now, all of whom were in very trim condition, mentally fine. Uh, So the fathers are... um, uh, Francois, Jacques and Alain and uh, so one father for each of the three cousins who, who now run the domain. and it was just an incredible lunch because the bottles were all still alive, a couple of them were absolutely gorgeous the pre-war ones they mixed together uh, they now make a Corton and a Corton-Bresson but pre-war they just made one Corton and put the Bresson in with, with the other wines and what was fabulous is that um, when we there was, there was a 1943 and i was sitting next to i think it was jacques uh, who said yes i remember i was only a teenager at the time but we got in our van in 1945 and we drove to sur saone to the factory that made the bottles And in those days there was no petrol so you ran your your vans on uh, some sort of methane gas bottles and it took most of the day to get to sur saone pick up the bottles and then go back uh, to the winery and then we bottled them all by hand as they would have done in those days and it was just incredible to be drinking these bottles from the 30s and 40s and to have people who were alive at the time and remembered it happening sharing the bottles with us so i'm sorry to digress like that but i'm, I'm sure you can feel a little bit of the magic uh coming coming over oh ho and natalie <laughs> natalie is in with us today uh, gosh wow brilliant Um, And um, uh, so, sorry, I've allowed myself to get a bit involved in in telling that story. Here we are with a wonderful, um, uh, rich wine. um, um, 67 Pall if it's possible to um, let uh, Natalie, if you're able to open up Natalie 21, that's Natalie T 21, if you're able to let her on, on screen, then please do. If that's too, if it's not um, possible, then don't. But wouldn't it be amazing if, if Natalie can join us uh, for this? And I think it's about to happen. Are you there, Natalie? Bonjour. Oh. bonsoir. Hello. 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 We, uh, we can't see you. I don't know if you can, if you can uh,
1: oh.
0: show the video as well. Uh-huh. And we can... We can see you. Uh, Can you hear me? I can certainly hear you. We can all hear you. If we can see you as well, that would be brilliant. You've gone away. She's back. At home. Yeah, you're at home, Nathalie. You're you're well and still in confinement, still in lockdown. Um,
1: I think I'm at home, but uh, I'm Savigny, and uh, the internet is not that great.
0: Right. I know your are Stephanie because I used to buy it. Hi! We can see you now. So this is a Natalie Todd, one of the three cousins who runs it now. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience in 2015?
1: Oh, um, uh, I remember it quite well because we were all amazed about the quality of the grapes. Uh, our fathers uh, were saying we were so lucky to have such healthy ones and it's It was uh, such, uh, so unusual for them.
0: Um, Yeah, I I must um, say, you're also the three of you so lucky to have such healthy fathers. Uh, Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. I'm just tasting this wine now. It's a beautifully deep, ripe colour. Your wines always have the characteristic there's plenty of new oak at the start, but it always integrates. Uh, It never takes over. I've never yet had a Tolobo wine where I felt the oak has dried the fruit out, which is what we want to avoid. But it's there as a support and gives a glossy feel to the wine. And uh, everybody in the UK of my generation and older, we were all almost introduced to Red Burgundy through the Choribon from Tolobo because it was on every wine, every good rural restaurant. Indeed, in the one my wife was working in an incredible place called the Riverside. Um, you know down in Cornwall and it was the, the mainstay of the Voken list there. So um well with the big help interview. of <laughs> Mark. Mm. Right, well uh, everybody at home raise your glasses to Natalie and all the Tolobo tribe. Natalie thank you we drink to you.
1: To, thanks to everybody for being with us.
0: Yeah and thank you for joining in I didn't, I had no idea until I saw what you said on the, on the chat, so um, we'll see you again. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, anyway, this is a lovely, lovely wine for, for us to finish on, um, uh, with a depth and an energy, uh, got the glossiness, does have some oak, but not uh, uh, drying out. Um, the wines are de-stemmed, uh, they get, their barrels come from François Frère, who always has a very particular character and they use plenty of new wood but but not in a style which I think is pejorative and I also remember from a previous conversation with Natalie that they actually chose this vineyard in particular was picked reasonably early in the piece and they're not late pickers anyway and that was probably a good thing to do. Right time moves on it's six minutes past eight I definitely turn into a pumpkin at that's French time at quarter past So, um, in a second, we will do the um, poll, or maybe we should do the polls first. Just have a think about whether or not, uh, which is your two favourite wines, from whatever reasons you want to do it, and also um, whether or not you, how great you think 2015 can be. So, while you're thinking those things, I will go over what is for me the necessary characteristics you can have a, a minute or so to, to, to do the first one, but... Characteristics for a great vintage, it's got to have depth of fruit, it's got to have purity, it's got to be healthy, ripe, no negative flavours about it. It's great if it tastes good young, but that's not an absolute prerequisite. You've got to feel that these wines will make great, great bottles for their old. Now, 2005 is such a powerful vintage uh, that it's actually not very charming young but I believe will make truly great old wines 2010 was charming young is charming now uh, may or may not go on to make old wines I think myself that they will be better drunk in their first 25 years 2015 has got the use of charm and I used to say 15 it's 5 plus 10 if you'd like to get the 15 um, so it's got the charm of the 2010s do you think it's got enough structure and power, when well made, to make great old wines? I have a view on that uh, and we will ask for your opinion. So um, Martina, if you just leave up for another maybe 30 seconds, that choice, please vote for your, your two favourites. So I said at the beginning they're probably your absolute favourite wine and the other can either be your second favourite or the one that you felt performed best in its class, in its category and we will just count down um ten nine eight etc etc down to five four three two one so we will close the poll and then i'll ask martina to show the results Ta- natalie what have you done you stormed stormed away with it so that's a clear favorite with grief over the second uh the Must now, I don't know if people got the white or if they got the red and voted for that. I'm happy to see that. Uh Ravo did nicely, then David Dubois. And I'm a little disappointed. I would have had uh I would have had Chevrolet as one of my two. He was your only six of you did vote for it, but actually I think for a, a, a village wine from an unknown village, I thought that was pretty smart juice. So I would probably have gone for the Merange and the Courton Breton But um, I w- I, I, I'm keener on the red, Marcinade, than the white, so that probably wouldn't have been a vote. Um, and I would certainly have had, uh, I liked the Dubon wine, but uh, Grivo I would have wanted to have up there in the top category as well. Good, good, good. So um, so we've done that a little bit. And um, before you start to disappear, let us all now. Can we put up the second poll, please, Martina? Do you think it's great, nearly great, or misses out? I think you can do that quite quickly. So we'll just ask you to vote straight away on that. OK, all had a chance. Five, four, three, two, one. Kill that off. And great for 49, nearly great for 49. And one miserable sod didn't like it. Fair enough. Um, uh, I'm just in great. I mean, it's definitely nearly great. Uh, but I had decided that I was going to vote for great uh, had I been uh, allowed to vote for it. I still think 05 is going to be probably even greater. But there wasn't a wine there where I worried about there being too much heat and out of balance in a way that I think 2018 um, is uh, is perhaps uh, some of the wines are in that category. Right, I think we've got some Q&As um, uh, uh, coming up. And Brian, um, I'm just going to answer Brady uh, has said, uh, Is that is that my friend Brady Daniels? It may be. How do you feel about Dubois' work with the old True Show vineyards? I hear a lot of moaning from old True Show fans. I'm going to be controversial Controversial here. I know that True Show is has an absolute cult following in the States and to a lesser extent in the UK. Almost every bottle I have had of younger vintages of Truchet, I remember we finished in 04 or 05, but everything I've had from the end of the 90s and early 2000s, particularly that last period, has been flawed and faulty. Uh, they have had not cork paints, but a musty feeling to them, to the extent that I can almost pick them out when they're served blind. I think, oh, someone's pulled out a, a valuable Truchet. I'm in a minority of one so far on this, but I think there must have been something going on on the end of the old regime at Truchot uh, that was taking uh, away from it. And as I say, it's not a cork taint. It's, it's a mustiness that was somewhere either in the vineyards or in the cellar. And David Dubon, maybe the wines were a little bit too clean, clear-cut, clinical, maybe. And if you were a Truchot person and moved to Dubon, maybe you don't like it, but I prefer them under, under Dubon. Right. Um, When I grow up, I'm going to be happily controversial every time. Um, Ronan, shall I just file through the Q&A's or do you want to? Uh,
1: Would you like me to read them out for you or you? Why
0: why don't you do that?
1: Okay. Okay, so Kevin asks in terms of style, how do you compare 2015 to 2005?
0: Well, there is an extra suppleness and juiciness and immediate fruit in 2015 uh, and the wines don't show the risk of drought, which happened in both vintages, was perhaps stronger in 05, but the intensity of wine is probably stronger in 05. The structure, I think, there are one or two people who overextracted in 05, and that with the dry conditions was a problem. But assuming that people got it right, then I think 05 has got an extra drive about it. But nonetheless, 2015 is really, really lovely.
1: Okay, and do you prefer 16 to 15 reds?
0: I've got, a, I, I've got a sort of a love for 16 because it was such a disaster to begin with. It was my first year of um, managing the Auspice de um, uh, sale for Christie's and, and so Anthony Hanson had done a wonderful job ten years previously um, and everything, all the prices crashed dramatically in my first year because for most of the season we had to cry disaster after the frost and only when it came to harvest time did we realize that the grapes could be quite good and now i really really like it uh, the style is different they're very crunchy wines you don't get that crunch in 2015 um i haven't yet f- formed a firm opinion as where 2016 is going but i really really like it I, I don't want i don't want to call it between the two
1: And Scott is asking um, uh, vineyards like Le Saint-Georges and the Von Romany side like Boudot.
0: No, hi Scott. No, it's only Le Saint-Georges. The the other wines are getting their prices happily. And, 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 you know, there's a good will towards Le Saint-Georges and people would like to see it happen. Politically, it's quite difficult and it may not. It may not happen. But it's only Le Saint-Georges, yeah.
1: And Klaus is saying, uh, from the last three wines, which are stem versus de uh,
0: Yes, I should have continued answering those, though I didn't. Last 3 Grivo Grévo de-stemmed, d uh, de-stemmed, and uh, Tolobo de-stemmed. Huh, sorry, right, three de-stemmed.
1: Okay, and Tim is asking, um, you know, estates like Petrus has very, very heavy clays, which give it a very singular power. Um, what's the distinguishing factor here that makes clay bad news?
0: Well, heavy clay is bad news uh, because it, um, or it has been bad news because it means that um, the vines don't drain very well. It also tends to be, heavy clay tends to come at the foot of the hill where you've got very deep soils, uh, that, and that's not just because it's the foot of the hill and everything gathers there, but also because there are, there are fault lines and the rock disappears miles below the surface. Um, clay as opposed to limestone defines the style, too heavy a clay probably becomes less good news.
1: Okay, and Brady is saying would you compare 16 to and 18?
0: 15 and 18, I think he's. 15 and 18, sorry. Yeah, uh, yes there are comparisons um, but I think 2015 seems to have got away with the heat. I just felt that 2015 was in the category of uh, a hot, or at least a very warm summer, and ripe grapes, but it hadn't changed things. 2018, I started finding vineyards which are normally very good, which had been suffering from an excess of heat uh, and perhaps a bit Um, drought. And uh, so 2018 for me was sign of a tipping point. Instead, so far 2020 looks very much in the same time scale and the same early season characteristics as 2015. Uh, thank you, Natalie, for really liking Chevrolet wines. Yes, they're, they're fun boys, those two, uh, Pablo and Barcelona.
1: And Sergio wonders what do you think of Domaine Croix and their Corton Grand Cruz?
0: Yeah, we'll definitely include the Domaine Croix if we did a course on one. They have two. They have La Vino which they thought was going to be light, and they have uh, Grève, which they thought was going to be classic. And uh, 2009 was the first vintage. In 2009, they found the Greve was just massive and tannic and almost ugly. And um, it, and the Vino Sant they really liked. The other domain that got two new vineyards in that year, Vino Sant and Perrier, was Meo Camuset. And Jean Nicolas Meo found the same things. And I've loved the Vino Sant every year. And now I think David Choir has understood what he's got with the Greve and he's managed to stop it being too austere. But it's still a little bit hard work. Um, Richard
1: is asking: uh, 2015 Jadot Clos de Bèze is 300 pounds a bottle, whereas the 11 Clos de Bez from Jadot is 100 pounds a bottle. And what would you prefer to choose: three bottles of t- 11 or one bottle of 15?
0: Well, I mean, prices have, have gone uh, have gone totally, you know, out of the uh, uh, out of scale, out of sight. And we'll have to see if the current crisis one thing it might do might do is bring bring prices back. Um, uh, 11, I think that's the first thing to the new winemaker, or the last of, uh, I'm not absolutely sure, I don't have a memory of having tasted the two individual wines side by side, so I don't really know, um, but you know, I don't want to pay three times the price for uh, a younger wine than I did for a decent older wine, for sure
1: and Heiko is asking, do you think that um, global warming is having an effect on the wines of Corton?
0: Well, uh, he, uh, he also um, uh, points out that uh, uh, sometimes the wines are austere. If you have wines from producers who made wines for a bit austere, then the global warming is probably helping. But certain sites and other were probably getting it right before, and then they've got to make sure they've got to change, tweak a few things in order to keep getting it right. Okay, and James
1: is asking, "What is your favourite twenty-first century off vintage?"
0: Oh, good question. Um, I love twenty thirteen actually for reds, and that's not on the radar. I like a few oh uh, seven others. Uh, I'm going to take. I'm going to take twenty thirteen. Time yeah. running out, and uh, we've overshot by three minutes. Um,
1: well, I think I think that's fine, yeah, Justin. I'm not going to that last
0: technical question. We we, we lead into. There's there's no straightforward answer on that, so I will maybe you...
1: you can tell us what we what you've got planned because I know we've... oh what we got planned
0: yes we, uh, we we've got a, a white premier crew looking at uh, six different um, you know, villages with a really good premier crew from each that's coming up. I'm going to do an interview with Ben Larue, um, one of the most exciting of the new generation of young um, uh, negotiators. I'm going to do an interview with um, Thibaut Jacquet, who uh, is now sort of front man, not the winemaker, at the main Bonnet du Martre. I've just had a really good idea. We haven't put it in place yet, and I'm not going to tell you today who the growers will be. But I'm actually going to get three brand new young growers. I mean, when I say brand new, new generation growers from established producers, and they will have two wines each. And I will lead the event, but I will bring them in for their two wines and the. Uh, allow them to comment on the others as well. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I think we've got uh, some Grand Cru's from Chauvary-Chambertin we'll look at. And following on the suggestions on the side there, we'll definitely do a hillside of Corton. Um, so uh, how we can do that in Just Six Fines, I don't really know. Anyway, great to see so many familiar names and some new ones on, on the chat. Loved uh, doing this, as always, today. And uh, we will see you all next time. Thank right. you for staying tuned.